0: Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for the Wilmington, Ohio Church of Christ. We pray that this message will inspire you and help you grow closer to God in your faith. Be sure to stick around after the message to find out more about how you can take your next best step. Enjoy the message. When we took a short-term mission trip to Haiti several years ago, I got to be a part of that. Um, We were on a plane getting ready to go, uh, and our job was to um, help build a home. And I sat next to a guy, and he said he hated missionaries going into countries. And I said, what's going on? Why? And he said, well, you missionaries, you show up, and you throw a bunch of money at somebody, and and you teach, and then you leave, and you leave them worse off than how you found them. I said, well, that, that might be the case with some missionary groups, but uh, Lifeline Christian Mission, they go in and they'll set up a camp, and then they'll hire the Haitians, train the Haitians to run everything, and then when Lifeline pulls out and leaves, they leave Haitians in charge. And so they, Lifeline created an um, orphanage, and it's run by Haitian staff. And they created a school, and it's the administrator is Haitian, and all the teachers are Haitian. And they have a compound where short-term missionaries like me stay, and we're told what to do by the Haitians who, cook, cook, who are hired and cook breakfast, and they take us out to the camp, and the Haitians are building the house, and the Haitians are doing everything. And that guy said, oh, well, that sounds pretty good. One of the things that we found on the trip was, The Haitians, they were doing everything for the compound Lifeline Christian Mission. And one of the things they would do is they would make bricks. And they would scoop the sand together. And they would scoop the gravel and the the mortar and they would mix it. They'd put it into the frames. They'd let it dry and then they'd shake the bricks out. And then the Haitians would all gather around and they'd take the bricks to the worksite. And then as a group, what we would have to do is we would have to get in a long line and we would hand the bricks for the building one by one in a train all the way to where it needed to go. They would pile it. They would bring this huge pile of bricks and we had to build a train of people to transport the bricks to each worksite. Here's my point. We all work together to build these homes. And when the earthquake came and when the hurricanes came, the Lifeline Christian Mission built homes that were built by Lifeline Christian Mission Haitians, those were the homes that stayed up. They didn't fall. Those were the homes made by Haitians, built by Haitians, and they let me (laughs) come in and like put a little plaster on. They laughed at us because we were Kind of weak and out of shape, and they were building these homes, but they let us join them. When we work together and we build homes together in a foreign land or here, it just seems to last. It just seems to get people involved. And it can even convince the skeptic that what we're doing is good. Spiritually, spiritually, as we tell others about Jesus Christ, and as we lead people to Jesus, and as we become the church, we are not called to do it alone, but we are called to build it together to make the biggest difference. And we're going to talk about that today out of Acts chapter 5. Let's pray. Lord, as we uh, look at Acts chapter 5 once again today for our vision would you just continue to build into us this purpose for us that we are called to obey and be your church, called out ones, sent on mission. Lord, we meet together as a church, and then we go and are the church. Lord, we are your called out ones, and Lord, we are obedient to your mission. Lord, would you help us today and change change us to give us this desire to work together. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In Acts chapter 5, we read these, this verse, and we have read it for several weeks. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. In the first week, we kind of did an overview of that passage. The second week, we talked about the importance of meeting together in a large group. Day after day, they met together in the temple courts. Large group, we said, is kind of like our church gathering. And we said, don't be confused. The word church means meeting place where you bow to your Lord. And the word church that Jesus used meant called out people that were gathered together to be sent on mission. So we want to be the called out people we gather together as a church for church, but we want to be sent on mission as the church too. Then last week, Jacob talked about the power and importance of small groups. How we have to not just sit in rows, but we have to get in circles and hold each other accountable, help each other grow and love on one another. And the importance of small groups. They met in each other's homes. Well, today I want to talk about the evangelism part, the good news part. Now, in this passage, it talks about the teaching, the training, the discipleship, and the evangelism. And we mentioned in the very first sermon that we have to evangelize and emphasize that because we have a tendency just to be inward focused. But today I want to talk about the good news of Jesus Christ, the evangelism part. From that passage, they met together daily. They never stopped ceasing, meeting together in the temple courts, meeting in each other's home, and teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is Messiah. We don't need to stop this too. And there are three things that we're going to pick up on evangelism. Now, number one, I want us to see that it's group oriented. Number two, I want you to see that it's simple. And number three, I want you to see that it's relational. And this is going to be a challenge for us. Um, I know in the order up there, I had a group, I had simple, relational, group oriented, but I want to start with um, relational right now. Evangelism is, I mean, I want to start with group-oriented right now. Evangelism is group-oriented. Notice in this passage that they is a plural. And it's talking about the group of apostles. Um, if you read back just a couple of uh, verses in Acts chapter 4, what had happened with the apostles is they were telling people about Jesus. They were teaching people about Jesus, and they got arrested for doing that. And then after they were arrested, an angel let them out of prison So when the guards came back to get them, they didn't find them. And they said, whoa, they're teaching again. So they were arrested again. And the Sanhedrin, the ruling order of people in that area, they said, we need to kill these guys. One of them spoke up and said, well, maybe we shouldn't kill them. And so they decided to beat them instead and said, do not teach in the name of Jesus. So what did they do after they got out of the beating? They went and started teaching again. But I want you to know it's a plural. It's they. They went into the group. They went into the homes. They taught the good news of Jesus. This is group-oriented. Evangelism, if we could get our minds around this, evangelism means telling people about Jesus. Evangelism is a team sport. We are not supposed to do it alone, although we should be able to communicate it in a one-on-one situation. We, we need to take the pressure off doing it alone, and we need to start doing it together as a they instead of individually. I'll give you an example of why. I meet in a prayer group on Sunday morning. I'm going to just list off and tell you a little bit about the people that meet during our prayer time. Ron is a little bit older than me, but when we took karate, he's a lot older than me. Let me just say it. He's a lot older than me. He could outrun me and outlift me, and every time I say punch light, he would hurt me. Ron has the life experience of being a widow. I don't have that experience. A widower. Barb, who is also a widow... She has a life experience of being a grandmother, helping to raise her great-granddaughter. Becky has the experience of being divorced and deals with chronic pain that I don't know about. Steve is a farmer. Farmers know how to do everything. If you're a farmer, you have to know how to do crops. You have to know how to do electric work. You have to know how to do plumbing work. You have to know how to do veterinarian work. You have to know how to work on vehicles as a mechanic. Farmers know how to do everything. Janet has lived all over the world and currently has her granddaughter that came to live with her. Brenda is a former nurse. Now, let me ask you this. If I was going to lead somebody to Christ and I was going to say, hey, you need to know about Jesus. And, see, evangelism, teaching somebody about Jesus, isn't just like telling somebody about Jesus and then leaving them. Evangelism, teaching them about Jesus, is telling them about Jesus and then helping them grow up in Jesus. I know how to type fast. Let me put this down. Dale knows how to type fast, okay? Now, out of this group that I just mentioned, Ron with experience that I don't have, Barb with experience that I don't have, Becky with experience that I don't have, Steve who knows how to do everything, Janet with experience I don't have, Brenda who's a former nurse, and Dale who types fast, If you were going to lead somebody to Christ and you wanted to grow them up in Jesus and you wanted to keep them growing like a, you know, when you come to Christ, you're a child and you need to grow up in maturity, you need to learn how to do life as... Who do you want teaching your friend how to grow up in Christ? People with all sorts of life experience or a guy who knows how to type fast? See, when we invite people to Jesus, what we need to do is invite them into our family, our group, so that all of us train the new person in Jesus. Isn't this a wiser way to do evangelism? If, and it takes the pressure off. See, I know some things about the Bible, and I know some things about Jesus, and I can train a new person in how to follow Jesus in some areas. But Ron, Brenda, Barb, Becky, Steve, and Janet, they know how to follow Jesus in some areas that I don't. They know how to trust Jesus in some events in their life that I don't have experience in. And so when we invite somebody into our group and we pour into them the way of following Jesus, we get to pull from everybody's experience. And now it's no longer just pressure on me to lead somebody and help them grow up in Christ, but we all do it together as a group. See, there's a reason why they went into the temple courts and they went into the homes and they kept teaching and proclaiming the name of Jesus because every single one of the apostles was gifted in a slightly different area of life. Even though they were all talking about Jesus, even though they were all training about Jesus, they needed all of the experience of the church, the called out ones, gathered together, sent on mission to lead people to Jesus. There was about twelve. There were twelve apostles. There were 120 disciples of Jesus. They led 3,000 people to Jesus, and the number just kept growing from there. Well, you lead 3,000 people to Jesus. You can't just leave them there with "Here's Jesus. Go on your way." No, you have to keep training them. That's why every day they kept training them. Well, imagine if there were twelve apostles that were doing the training, and each apostle met with 20 people at a time. Was 20 times 12? Anybody? Over 200. There were 3,000 people. So if you're doing 200 people a day teaching, but slightly over 200 people a day, then how long would it get to train 3,000 people? Just a little over 10 days, right? But you're not just training them and leaving them. You're training them on how to teach others. So the whole group is doing it. See, if if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, But if you teach a man to fish, he can eat for a lifetime. But if you teach that man how to teach somebody else how to fish, everybody eats. Let me say that again. If you lead somebody to Christ, you might save their soul. If You give them Jesus. And if you train them how to be a disciple, they're going to have maturity and growth. But a true disciple is somebody who learns and goes and teaches somebody else how to follow Jesus. We can't just teach, here's Jesus. we got to teach, here's how to do life with Jesus. And it needs a whole group of people to do it in a healthy way. Evangelism is group-oriented. It's not just group-oriented. We need to know one other thing about evangelism to take the pressure off of us. God gives growth. This is really important. Steve, do you have any control? And Jeff, I see you out there both... Both uh, farmers. Do you have any control on whether the corn grows or not? No. But you have control on whether you plant and water it and put the right fertilizer on it, right? Get it out on the right time. See, we don't have any control if somebody grows in Christ. What we have control over is whether we're faithful to obey. See, we can plant seeds of faith, we can tell people about Jesus. But we don't have any control of whether they grow in Jesus. We don't have any control whether they believe. I can tell you about Jesus, but I can't make you believe. And I can't grow you in the faith, but I can give you the tools that you might need so you can grow in faith. And we can do it together. So I'm going to teach you how to read the Bible, and I'm going to teach you how to figure out how to read the Bible by yourself and in a group. I'm going to teach you to pray. I'm going to teach you how to pray in a group. But I can't make you read the Bible. I can't make you pray. I'm going to teach you how to tell other people about Jesus, but I can't make you tell other people about Jesus. The growth that happens spiritually, (laughs) my voice just cracked. I just hit puberty, yes. The growth that happens inside of you as you learn to read the Bible and as you pray is up to God. Takes the pressure off. Evangelism, telling people about Jesus is a win, win, win situation. As far as if you do it in a group, it's not all on you. And if you remember God is going to give the growth, it takes the pressure off. Your job is just to be faithful. Well, how often should you be faithful? Well, in Acts chapter 5, it says they did it every day. Well, what should we talk about? Well, they never stopped ceasing, teaching and proclaiming Jesus as Messiah. The good news. Which leads us to the second point. It's simple. The good news is simple. Now, it's simple but not easy. And it's simple and urgent. And it's simple and maybe offensive. But it is simple. Here's the gospel, the good news. It's good because God saves. I'm going to erase this and start over. It's simple and good because God saves. He's the one that gives growth. He's the one that removes spiritual blindness so that we can see and understand. God saves. That's simple. God saves sinners. That's good. Because the scripture says all of us are sinners. And so when you want to tell the good news about, to somebody, you have to include information about God. You have to include information about People, all people are sinners. You have to include information about Jesus, who he is, and what he did. And then you have to include information about how we're supposed to respond to that information. And it is simple. It is simple. But it's not necessarily easy to follow. It's costly. And it's not necessarily easy to hear because it's offensive. Let me show you how simple it is. In fact, one of our elders just used this simple diagram. Um, He teaches, Jake Green, he teaches at Wilmington Middle School. And with one of his students, he got to share this simple diagram with sharing the gospel. Now, remember what goes into the good news that's simple God, people, Jesus, what Jesus did, and our response. Okay, it's simple. He started with the three circles. It's a three-circle diagram. He says, you know, the world feels kind of broken, doesn't it? This is how simple it is. Well, most people would agree with that. There seems to be death and disease and and trials and famine, and people get their feelings hurt. Yeah, it's, it's broken. This is not a good place. And you say, well, was it always meant to be that way? Well, no, God originally, in his design, he created a perfect world where we had a relationship, God's perfect design, where we had a relationship with him that was good and a relationship with other people that wasn't broken. But not too long after God created the world, people messed up the relationship and the perfect design. We call that sin. And that sin, that bad thing, that we all have participated in, anybody ever been selfish? Anybody taken something that didn't belong to them? Anybody ever say something to somebody else that they regretted? Yeah, that sin actually destroys the perfect design and causes the brokenness. This is simple. But this part is offensive. This part's hard to hear. It's simple, though. And so how do we get out of brokenness? Well, God decided to send Jesus. Jesus never sinned. He never participated in that brokenness. Jesus is our king, our one, our Messiah that was sent to come save us. And he came down to be on this broken world with no sin so that he could save us and restore our relationship And he did that by taking the punishment we deserved on the cross and dying for our sin. And after three days, he rose from the dead to prove it's all true. See, this is simple. But it's costly. How do we respond to this? Well, the Bible says we need to believe that this is true. Jesus died and rose again. And we need to entrust ourselves to this. It says we need to turn, or repent is the Bible word, turn from the brokenness and follow Jesus. Turn and follow. This is the costly part. Turning and following is costly. Uh, Just to take a quick break from this, we have to teach the costliness of it. We have to teach the offensive part. There was a man who started attending church here not very many weeks ago. And it seemed like he was all in and all connected. And then I asked him, why haven't you been back? And he said, I live for people to give me praise. And you weren't giving me enough praise for how awesome I am. So I'm offended and I'm leaving and going somewhere else. We have to teach the costly part because the costly part when we start following Jesus is we give up wanting praise and stuff for ourselves, and we start sacrificing for Jesus. See, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple, but costly. Because when we turn and follow Jesus, we give up our life and take on the life of Jesus. And the scripture says we need to be buried like Jesus was buried and we need to be raised like Jesus was raised. The Bible calls that baptism. And we need to be buried. Paul in chapter 6 of Romans, he said, if you're buried like this, baptized, you'll also be raised like this. See, this is our response to the good, simple news. But it is costly. And it doesn't end here. See, we're raised so that we can be restored to a relationship with God in His perfect relationship and then go back into the world to tell people about Him. In Matthew chapter 25... Jesus tells this story. He said there were people that appeared before him at the end of days, and he was separating. Some got to go to heaven, and some got to go to hell. And as he was sending some people to hell, they said, wait a second. We prayed in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We did a bunch of stuff in your name. And Jesus said, I don't know you. And I wonder if the people who did miraculous things in the name of Jesus never turned from their old way to follow him. They never died to self to take on the life of Christ. They never went back into the world to bring people to a real relationship to Jesus. See, it's simple. Jake Green, one of our elders, told this to a middle school student. They just picked it up. It's simple, but it's not easy. But it is urgent. People are dying every day. And they're dying without hope. They're dying without a Savior. They're dying and going to hell. And it's our job as a church to give this simple explanation about the good news. See it's good. God saves. And it's news because there's a lot of people even here in Wilmington that have never heard it. Let me say that again. There are people in Wilmington that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. Let me say it another way. There are people in Wilmington who have never heard the name Jesus. When we stand before the king and he's separating people to hell and to heaven, I think we're in danger of saying we went to church, we went to Sunday school, We paid a tithe. We read our Bibles. And Jesus might say, this is dangerous. He might say, I never even knew you. Because you never ever told anybody else about me. It just revealed that we really didn't have a relationship at all. I made no change in your life at all. I didn't know you. See, it's simple, but it's not easy and it's costly. Would you pray for my friend to know that he's not supposed to live for praise for himself, but to glorify Jesus? And would you pray for me that I teach that so clearly that nobody else ever comes to Jesus through this church and through this ministry? That thinks it's about them and not about Jesus. Simple. He's group oriented. And the gospel is also relational. Relational. What would be the best way to teach a child how to do math? English. Let's say your child is five years old and you want them to learn math and English so that they know how to speak well, so that they know how to read well, and so that they know how to, you know, balance their checkbook. What would be the best way to teach them? Let me give you two scenarios. One is you hand them a book on how to do English and you hand them a book on how to do math and you give them a video on their phone, and you say, here you go, kid. Learn English and math on this video from these books. The other scenario is you sit with them and you train them over every day how to speak how to do math, and you can use the book now, incorporate in your lessons, but you're with them every day and you're following up to make sure they're growing and you're hanging out with them and you're taking responsibility for their growth because they're your kid. Which scenario works better? What do we do in church when we get a new disciple? Oh, I'm so guilty of this. Here's a book and here's a video and go over to class, and good luck. See, when they met together in the temple and in homes, they were taking responsibility for those new Christians. And they were teaching them in a relationship, and they took on the form of a responsible parent. They made themselves involved in their life so they could teach them how to follow Jesus, how to read their Bibles, how to pray, how to be a Christ follower. They didn't just send them off on their own. The good news is meant to be in relationship. And our responsibility as we train somebody, is to become a responsible parent for their growth. And if I might say, we did this in our prayer group today. We have a a visiting granddaughter in our prayer group. Remember that people I was telling you about? And our visiting granddaughter has never prayed out loud, never been taught to pray. So several weeks ago, when we prayed... Steve, who's a farmer and knows how to do everything, he's also a father and a grandfather, he saw that this new young lady didn't know how to pray. And he said, how about I pray for you today? And she said, okay. And he prayed out loud, showing her how to pray. And then today, we said, you're going to pray, and we're going to give you the words on how to pray. Brenda, the former nurse She just suffered a stroke a couple of weeks ago. So she's needing healing. So we prayed for healing for Brenda. And you know what? Here's how we taught this new person how to pray, this new little girl how to pray. We said, say these words. Dear God, dear God, help Brenda heal. Help Brenda heal. Amen. See, we're showing her how to pray, and we're teaching her how to pray And we're doing it in a relationship that's going to grow her up to be a prayer warrior. We're not just saying, here, go learn how to pray. We're doing it in a group. We're giving it to her simple. And then we're building a relationship. This is how you tell everybody about Jesus. You follow me? Here's here's our response. Here's our response. Here's how we can respond to this. Um, number one, we got to be in prayer, heavy duty prayer for our immediate family. One more one more diagram. Our immediate family and ourselves, We need to pray. that we would help lead these people to Jesus. I probably don't have to go around the room and have you raise your hand, but I bet everybody in here has a family member that doesn't know Jesus or is far from the Lord. But I bet we don't have to go too far into our relatives to find somebody who has never heard about Jesus, never heard the name. So let's put relatives up here. And then we have friends. We all have friends that don't know Jesus. Then we have our community. There is over 8,000 people in Wilmington that are not Christians. We only got 12,000 people that live in Wilmington. It only takes like 10% of the population to make a dent A huge difference it only took 120 people in the first church the outpouring of the Holy Spirit where God saves they just had to tell people about Jesus and God saved 3,000 people from 120 we got about 120 in this room if we all went and trusted that God saves and we all just told one person about Jesus God might do 3,000 people in Wilmington what would that do to our community if 3,000 people all of a sudden got saved out of 8,000 that doesn't know Jesus then pray for our nation and pray for our world. But why don't we just start with our family and friends? Why don't we just make it simple? What kind of difference would it make if we began to pray for our family and friends, and we got our small groups to pray for our family and friends, and we told our small groups, here's the people in my life that doesn't know Jesus. I want you to pray for them that God would take off their spiritual blinders, that God would grow their faith, that someone, somewhere, maybe it's me, would tell them the good news about Jesus Christ, and they would make it as simple as possible, but they would do it in an urgent way, and they would do it in a careful way, they would do it in a loving way, so that they could be saved. What would happen in our community if we just did it with our friends and family? First, we need to pray. Second, we need to be in agreement to be discipled. So the guy who came that um, is now no longer attending, we never had this agreement established that he was going to allow himself to be trained Well, you can show up here at a church and without the agreement that you're gonna allow yourself to be trained. What that agreement means is you're gonna put somebody in your life that helps train you up to be in the Lord. And it doesn't matter if you've been going to church for a week or you've been going to church your whole life and for years and years and years, we all need more training to grow up in Jesus. And so you have to be in agreement to be discipled and then you have to have somebody help disciple you preferably in a group, preferably in a relationship. So you need to pray, you need to to be in agreement to be discipled, and then we need to practice telling people about Jesus. I guarantee that if you start telling people about Jesus, one of the side effects is your prayer life is going to get deeper. Deeper because it is so scary to tell people about Jesus, you're gonna to have to ask for help. I guarantee your Bible study is going to increase and the knowledge of the word is gonna increase because the person you're telling about Jesus is gonna ask you questions that you don't know the answer to. So you're gonna to have to look them up. And if you're doing it in a group, even better. So if you wanna grow in your faith and you wanna grow in your prayer life and you wanna grow in your Bible study, Practice telling people about Jesus. In our Wednesday night online group, we're building a faithful disciple. And we're doing it for each other. And we're, right now we're doing a prayer course. And we're just talking about prayer. And we're talking about how to pray to God. And in the middle of our course, our group is meeting. And the instruction says, the Holy Spirit prays for you. And somebody in our group said, I didn't know that. And somebody else in the group said, yeah, that's something, that's one of the blessings of being connected to God. The Holy Spirit prays for us and can continue to grow for us. In fact, you don't even have to say the right words in prayer because the Holy Spirit is gonna take your words and make them right with God and you'll be right with God because the Holy Spirit's praying for you. And then somebody else in the group said, oh, Let me tell you how awesome it is. Jesus is praying for you too. Blew their mind. See, we were building that faithful disciple together as a group. And we got to tell them about Jesus together as a group. And it was so simple and it was so powerful and we did it together where there's no pressure on any single one of us. And that person is growing more faithful and stronger in the Lord because of the group that we were doing it together in. Don't you have family that needs to be in that kind of group? Don't you have a friend that needs to be in that kind of growth setting? Don't you have people in your neighborhood, in our community, in Wilmington, that are just one invitation away from having that same mind blowing experience about the good news. What, Jesus prays for me? That's good news. What, the Holy Spirit is gonna take my words? I don't even have to have the right words? That's good news. Who are you gonna invite? We hope you have enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, talk to, or maybe you just want more information about our church, be sure to fill out a Connect card so we can reach out and help you take your next best step. Thanks again for joining, and we will see you back here next time.